here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. And welcome back once again to the Dharmic Evolution Podcast. So great to have you guys along today. Yeah, um, before we get to our guest today, our very special guest, don't forget to sign up for your favorite platform. Okay, you can just go to dharmicevolution.com. On the website, we have uh, four to choose from that we highlight there, which is Overcast, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. However, those are only four out of the 23 platforms that we're on worldwide, so you can find us pretty much anywhere. But this will make it easy for you to get the show every Friday morning at 4.44 a.m. And don't forget to check out our Dharmic Rising Stars Spotify playlists also and see if your music is on there. What a guest we have today. This is going to be so inspiring. You're going to love this. I have Jade Simmons with us today. Jade is a creator of transformational experiences designed to activate audiences into becoming the biggest, boldest version of themselves possible. The world-class concert artist is also the CEO of Jade Media Global, a revolutionary live experience and global content distribution company specializing in 360-degree personal development and strategic transformation. Nicknamed Classical Music's number one maverick, and named one of the best keynote speakers of 2019 and 2020, her electrifying genre-bending concert adventures span Rachmaninoff all the way to rap and include virtuoso storytelling, uncommon insights, and boundless inspiration. Today, Jade's experiences not only delight concert audiences, but her dazzling, high-impact presentations are fast becoming the go-to fuel for the world's superlative brands and organizations, from financial services to biotech to entertainment, education, energy, and beyond. The Equal Opportunity Disruptor was also a surprise independent candidate for president in the 2020 elections. Ladies and gentlemen, you better strap up your seatbelts because we're taking a ride today on the Dharmic Evolution with Jade Simmons. So, Jade, welcome to the Dharmic Evolution. Thank you for having me, James. It's a pleasure to have you here. A fellow musician, um, I'm just really stunned by your abilities on the piano are, are just amazing. And the fact that you've transformed your musical world into something completely unique and different is um, its just a rush for me to, to watch this because I'm sort of doing the same thing in a, in a very limited capacity um, compared to what you're doing. And I want to start with, um, you went to Northwestern University in Illinois, and there I'm sure you were studying as a pianist, correct? That's right. And yeah, That's so, right. I was studying as a classical concert pianist. That's right. Very specific. <laughs> but, but then you also managed to be, become a beauty pageant while you were doing this. So, yeah. so how did, first of all, um, how did the concert pianist come into your world? That specifically is, is so unique because the, I can't speak to that, but I know being a musician, the challenges that go into that must be incredible. Yeah, you know, it's not an easy path to pick, but you know, that's the wonder of, of childhood is you don't know any better. And my parents 
Um, I'm still blessed to have them both. And the way that they've raised me and my sister has been that we really do believe we can do anything uh, that we put our mind to. So um, I started playing piano very late, you know, compared to most classical musicians. I was eight years old, which I always joke is like over the hill in the <laughs> world of classical. Uh, and, you know, I only had one dream, which was I'm going to be a classical concert pianist because I said so. Uh, and I believed it enough to follow that path and have been very blessed to have lived that life. But as I'm sure we'll get to, you know, probably more than anybody else, how these incredible detours come and that as creators, you know, if we if we dare, uh, we can create ourselves into all sorts of new seasons and avenues. Tell me about your parents, because I love asking people about their parents, wow. especially when um, you've had the blessing of parents with foresight and encouragement wow. and, and somebody who, you know, helped fuel you. So tell me when you were aware of this. Um, as far as like, did you realize when you were young that this is kind of special the way my parents are, are treating me? Yeah, only because everybody else kept pointing it out to me. I mean, my husband, who's my high school sweetheart, would always say, this is really interesting. This is not what everybody experiences. And, you know, I just, my sister and I are 12 years apart. Um, so we have even different experiences too, right? Uh, yeah. with, our, with our parents. But um all I remember very clearly is that almost anything I wanted to try, whether it was a new sport or a new instrument or a new activity, um, they always said yes. And as a result, I was usually in multiple worlds at once, right? So I was in ballet, but I was also taking African dancing, right? You know, so it's like I loved classical music and played in the youth symphony, but I was also in the marching band and in the drum line. And my parents sort of made it so that I never had to choose, which drove many of my instructors and teachers crazy later in life and many of my business managers crazy uh, later in life because everybody would want me to choose one thing. And I just never felt like there was a need to choose one. And if we could do more than one, why only pick one? Uh, and so, you know, my parents, I think, really started that. Um, you know, now my mother admits now, she's in her 70s and, you know, she's seen the success that I've had, but she said, man, I was holding my breath for a long time, worried that maybe I should have made you pick a backup or do something more reasonable, but they never did. They always said, do what you want to do. We will find a way uh, to help you make it happen. Yeah, that is that is so, it's such good news. It, it makes me wow. feel good when I hear that. And I read the story about your father with the bongos when you were a little girl, like you were what, oh, yeah. two, three years old sitting there playing the bongos. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my father um, loves music, is not um, professionally trained in any capacity, but will pick up an instrument or sit down at a piano or sing. Uh, but drums are, are his passion, African drumming especially. He studied in Africa. Um, and so that's something I grew up with. My mother is also a pianist uh, and her specialty is worship music. So I grew up going to church with her uh, on piano. I don't have the gift that she and my son have, which is they can play anything by ear. Um, I'm strictly a by the notes person unless I'm composing myself. Um, so I was surrounded by lots of different types of music and, and I know that that has informed my path greatly. 
isn't that something how God gives us all these special little gifts? It's like, you know, um, I think John Lennon said it best when um, somebody asked if he could play something. And he said, he says, I'm a musician. I can play anything. And it's (laughs) it's, it's very true that if you have that spirit inside of you, that gift, um, you, you won't be proficient if you just pick up a strange instrument, but you can get yeah. something out of it and like, you can make, make it work. Yeah. You can make music. Yeah. <laughs> so after you got into, um, you know, you, you went to Northwestern and then you did the beauty pageants. Um, you're, you've got this idea about performing as a mm-hmm. concert pianist and you started that like, when was that that you first said, I'm going to be on stages? Was it all through, like, were you performing all through college and then after yeah, college? Yeah, um, you know, like most pianists will tell you, you know, we start in our hometowns and we have our teachers and we play recitals for them. And I remember playing one of those first recitals and loving what it felt like. Uh, not just, I would get in the zone very deeply as a young kid. And I was always very... Um, emotionally connected to the music and very kinetically connected. So I move a lot when I play, which you didn't always see in youngsters. Right. Um, so that was, that sort of made me stand out for better and for worse. Um, and, and this one teacher was the one who really helped me get to a level where I could even imagine playing at the college level. Um, and then when I went to college, I, I was always very clear. This is the one thing I want to do. I want to perform. And I didn't know that that you weren't supposed to say that, that you were supposed to kind of clothe that in. Well, I know it's next to impossible, so I'll probably teach piano or I'll probably uh, teach at the college level academics. And I just, I thought, nope, I just want to perform. And so that was the only thing ever in my mind. To this day, I have never taught uh, piano lessons. And I believe there are certain people who are called to teach in that way. I was not one of them. Um, And so coming out of college, I went to grad school. And this was pivotal for me because finally, I had an incredible teacher at Northwestern named uh, Dr. Sylvia Wong, who really helped me shore up uh, some cracks in the foundation because I had started so late and loved to learn quickly. I'd skipped over uh, some of the fundamentals in many ways. And so she made me go back and put a lot of stuff in. And when I got to graduate school, I had this phenomenal uh, instructor, Jackie Parker, John Tamira Parker, He's a Japanese Canadian concert pianist. And at Rice University, which is where I, I came to Houston to go, almost all of their professors are also simultaneously serious concert artists. And you don't see that a lot. Even at the biggest conservatories, many of the teachers no longer perform or never had uh, a serious performing career. So it was wonderful to be studying with someone who was living the life I wanted. Yeah. And I remember after my recital, Uh, my master's recital, he took me back to his studio and he said, Jade, you could do this. If this is what you want, you can do this. And then he proceeded to give me these steps, find your corner of the market musically, focus in that area and then go from there. No one had ever said those words. I'd always believed it, but no one had said it. And now it was coming from a person who was doing what I wanted to do. And and that was pivotal. Matter of fact, it makes me want to call him up and take him out for coffee you should uh, because it was it was huge it was a, it was a huge moment to have that kind of validation um again my parents raised me not to need the validation that if it was in my heart it was from god which means it was destined to be i just had to follow the path uh, but it was great to have that sort of real life in the natural i'll say a confirmation from someone who knew what he was talking about 
So when he said that, did the question arise right away of, okay, what is my market? And like, how do I do this? Like, where do I fit in? Is it just straight? You know, how did that work for you? Well, you know, if I look back and, and I was able to, I knew what that market was in the world of classical music because I'd already been starting to carve a place out with highly rhythmic classical music. Yeah. And some would think, oh, that's going to limit her to modern, classical, very atonal music. But, you know, I would play the Mozart that had the best rhythm, the Beethoven that had the grooviest bass, um, the modern music that I could really relate to. And I made a rule very on that I wasn't going to play any music that I didn't love every note of. Because in music school, you have to play so many rudimentary things, whether you like them or not. That I thought, I'm not going to make a career doing that. I want to play only the stuff that I'm extremely connected to. Um, So, And it was also highly dramatic music and music that required um, a high level of emotional intelligence to pull off. And so uh, a lot of the things that I did earlier uh, in my career would include that music. And then I began to craft themes around the music. Um, I would, I loved reading about psychology. So I remember combining the music of Scriabin with the artwork of Kandinsky. Uh, they both had synesthesia. Okay. And so there was this, I was able to lecture about what synesthesia was and talking about hearing sound. Um, I mean, hearing color and seeing sound. Uh, and so I started very early being able to combine, you know, my love of uh, things outside of music with music and with speaking. And that sort of started, uh, helping me really differentiate from other concert artists. So how long ago was that the, it sounds like that was the genesis of where you are now. Like you, you have this over here, which is incredible um, piano. Yeah. And then all of these other things kind of came around you. Like where, what, it did. yeah. What year it, was that? Or like how long? I ago? would say, let's see, I competed um, in the Van Cliburn competition, which for any of your listeners who aren't familiar, that's, you know, the premier piano competition in the world. The namesake is is Van Cliburn, who is, you know, our American hero of piano. Right. Um, and so I, I didn't make it past that first round and I was devastated. Wow. And the head of the competition um, called me one day because one of their winners had gotten sick and stuck in Columbia or something, couldn't make a flight. And they needed a pianist very quickly to step in and play at this at the Dallas Museum of Art. And that's the first time I debuted that Kandinsky uh, Scriabin collection. And I was it was one of those moments where, you know, you work so hard to be in a certain space and you don't make it. And you can convince yourself that if I don't make it in that space, it means I'm never going to make it in this industry. And even though I had not even advanced in that competition, here I was sharing the same space with those same winners. And that was one of those moments where you realize, wait a minute, we might have winning and losing all all convoluted here. There might be another way to win that allows me to be who I truly am as an artist uh, and still impact an audience that is uniquely designed uh, to receive the experience I have to offer. I would say that was, man, 2009, 2008, um, and it would be after that that I would go on. Maybe maybe even two thousand four. Let yeah. me go back because okay. after that I would I would be in another competition that I would go on to win, um, and I got the opportunity to really begin to carve out that lane very explicitly and say this is who I am as an artist, um, and that uh, started really me being able to get the bookings as a young classical artist. Wow. So in two thousand four, let me see what I have here. Yeah, you founded the Impulse Artist Series, yeah. which was and which was um, 
winner of the Houston Press Best Nonprofit Art Series. Can you talk about that a little a bit? Lot. Yeah. Forgotten you'd won that award. So, <laughs> you know, James, I feel like we probably can, can relate on in many of these ways. You know, when you when you start creating, and I think I've read this about you, it's like that's that's the juice, you know, that's kind of what we live on. And at that time, I thought that my mode of creation was only this instrument, the piano. Yeah. And this is where I'm starting to understand, wait, there are other ways that I can create and bring them into a new experience. So impulse was my creation um, to give back to other artists who I wanted to teach the things I was learning kind of by by road at that moment. So yeah. I was learning how to build a career. I had a knack for speaking, a knack for uh, being able to do media, being able to get media attention, and then being able to do well on the radio or on TV. Other classical artists especially had never gotten that training. Right. Um, so this series was created to, first of all, feature artists that I felt uniquely could connect to the music and to audiences would be willing to speak to audiences as well as to perform. And then we would put together a media gamut for them and create a press kit for them to take back. Because the catch 22 for the young artists were, we'd want to perform on these big series and they would say, well, let us see your press kit. Like, I don't have a press kit yet because I haven't performed on your big series. And so it was <laughs> catch 22. So Impulse was my way of jumpstarting uh, that process for a lot of artists so that they wouldn't just leave um, you know, with pay. And we also paid them well, which wasn't something that was <laughs> being done for young artists. And then they would leave kind of with this kit in hand uh, that could help uh, launch other opportunities. Wow. That is really something. I mean, that's, uh, that goes right to my, to the core of my soul, because the more I read about you, I, I saw a commonality. You, you were in ministry as I am. Um, so we have a lot of a lot of common ground here, a lot of shared paradigms. Um, so so you got this thing going, and you're helping these other artists. And we're coming up to the point where I want to talk to you about um, where you got like this 360 idea to say, I'm going to go out and Fortune 500 companies and all of these yeah. like huge brands. But first, I would like to play to let everybody have a taste of what Jade's all about, uh, one of her songs. And this is called Flight. Check this out. Thank you. 
So that was that was just awesome, Jade. I I just love this the song, uh, the flight. It's called, and I don't. I'm not sure the key. I'm feeling like a D minor maybe, and um, you know, it's I'm, I'm playing an A to it. I'm saying I can't really tell it, but you got this yeah. cool bass line that goes from the A to the F sharp over yeah. to a D, which is kind of like carrying the tune, which is so cool. Yeah. So how'd you yeah, come the, up with the this? bass line is what throws it. Um, yeah. So that is, that's the flight of the bumblebee. Oh, it is. That's what okay. that riff is. So that, that uh, right hand riff is flight of the bumblebee. And uh, so th- what you're playing is really kind of where my career ended up. Right. So I started out playing very strictly classical, which I still do. Right. And then right. I started doing jazzier or other genre versions of classical music. Then I started creating my own remixes. I mean, I loved things. like when I was growing up, I'd be listening to Beethoven, you know, on one track, but then I'd be listening to Missy Elliott, you know, <laughs> on another. And there was a point in my career where I started to say again, why do I have to choose? Yeah. If I like all of this, maybe there are audiences who like this mix. And so what you're playing is the result of one of those mixes. So that baseline is the baseline I came up with. But when you listen to hip hop and pop, you don't change the baseline that you know, I mean, not pop. When you listen to hip hop and rap, the bass line stays the same. Yeah. So I wanted to be true to that, but I wanted to lay on top of that, um, you know, fight of the bumblebee. So that's why you're getting kind of that modal mix there that's going well, on. Well, I love the anchor of that line and the and the tones you used. It's just so killer. It just gets you right here, you know? <laughs> Thank you, yeah. And, and just allows you to like just fly over it, which is really amazing. Can I ask you about your um, practice? Are, do, you, do you practice every day? I do, but I I should say I don't as much as I should. Right. And that is because so many other areas of business have taken off. So primarily now performance is nowhere near um, the majority of my career. So what I get to do because of the other things that I do um, that that bring in and drive revenue, I get to really anchor parts of the year that I want to devote to performance. And then that's where I'm able to go back old school where you're practicing, you know, six to eight hours every day until your fingers feel like they're going to fall off and, yeah. you know, grown a few new muscles uh, in your biceps. So I don't get to do that like I did in music school or when I was solely performing, which is when I had to practice every day. Now I'm practicing mostly for the events that I have coming up, which as you alluded to, are a combination of speaking and performing. I'm, bring, I'm being brought in as a professional speaker Right. It's just that a piano comes with me everywhere that I go. That's great. So I want to ask you more about that. Um, when you fi- when you got out like on the, you know, when you first started with this and said, well, I'm just going to put my toe in the water a little bit and go out there and do some speaking engagements. And then it grew into something fabulous because of the response. Yeah. And, I, and I'm getting this just by like I was checking out your YouTube videos and watching the audience participation. And that tells you everything as a musician, you know, you can walk out on stage and almost have your eyes closed and feel whether you're playing a good song or not, just by the energy that comes back. And you get such a, a blast of energy back. People really get you. So, so how did you like figure out, well, how do I get to, um, for instance, Hershey's, that seems like an odd fit. And insurance companies, you know, it's like, wait a minute. Does she's wait a minute, she's African American, she's a concert pianist, and she's coming into Hershey's to do motivational speaking. And right. it, it's just amazing to watch this work. I mean, I was just blown away. So where was the magic moment for you that you said, I can just I can do this. I can go to all of these different places. And how did you go about it? 
You know, it's that the, what you mentioned, that energy uh, kind of transference that happens between uh, myself and the audience. That is probably the the core that has come with me no matter what I'm doing, whether it's ministry, whether it's writing, uh, whether it's speaking. And so I've been very careful now to make sure that that core is there, that the interaction happens and the energy happens. And it was a differentiator in the world of classical music because people are expecting a stuffier uh, experience. Yeah. Yet we were having this, this, this real exchange, which started because I also started speaking in my classical music concerts in between the music. Uh, that was kind of point number one where I realized, wait a minute, they're enjoying the speaking as much as they're enjoying the Mozart. That's unusual because you guys are really unusual. buttoned up. You know, the concert it, thing, it's almost like that's the rule, you know, the unspoken rule. <laughs> that's, and, and that's the problem, James, is there was this unspoken rule. And I remember saying, who made that rule? Because when yeah. you look at the old days of classical, I mean, like in Mozart and Liszt time, the people, it was like a Michael Jackson concert. The right. women were fainting and <laughs> throwing their gloves on the stage. It was the equivalent of like throwing your panties these days, yeah. right? I mean, back then it was scandalous. Right. Uh, and these guys were superstars. You have Clara Schumann, who was like a rock star, a female concert pianist, way before any other women were really doing what she was doing. So I had to start to wonder, why did we make it this dead experience and it's almost like how you know we as humans place our own uh norms and expectations on things that weren't necessarily there and as i began to know more about the composers and see who they were as big personalities and realize people never really change so if they had raucous audiences back then they're probably the same people now we've just put this expectation of what a classical music concert should be uh, on it and so i started to just believe there was no barrier between the artist and the audience, believe they wanted engagement, uh, believe they wanted to be maybe even told how to experience what was happening around them. And I hit the jackpot with it, really. I mean, that kind of engagement, again, separated me from other artists who would just come out and play fabulously, but then the moment was over. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of big moment one. The other big moment, you know, you said, put my toe in the water and see how it goes, was the opposite. I was speaking at an arts event. I don't think I had even yet understood that I could do what I was doing outside of this place I had trained so hard to be in, which was the world of classical. But I was speaking at a music, uh, at a music event. It's like a, uh, I think a, uh, like a career building event for young artists. And a woman in the room, a very small room with only a few people, I was not the keynote speaker. A, a woman in that room heard me speak, called her daughter, who was the CEO of the Food Market Institute, which I'd never heard of, but that's where Hershey's, Kraft, McDonald's, Walmart, they all get together at this big event. Wow. And she said to her daughter, you need to have this woman come speak. Um, and she said, she's better than Coach K, because they had just had uh, you know, Coach K speak the year before. <laughs> And I honestly, I'd never done corporate speaking before, but I believe you just say yes and you figure it, you figure it out later. <laughs> um, and I remember when she asked me what my fee was, I've been playing for practically peanuts in the world of classical music. Yeah. So I knew there was money to be had, but I, didn't, I had no idea what the range was. And I remember I threw out this number that I thought was so big and she said yes so quickly, I instantly knew. <laughs> Started, I didn't ask for enough. Um, and so I, I went there and um, it blew that audience away because here was this woman who was not in their world in terms of cor corporate work, but I was talking about creativity and innovation from a place that they had, from a world they'd never been in. 
Right. So they were able to have this wonderful exchange of knowledge. And today I you know, specialize in speaking on purpose and leadership and innovation and reinvention because they are things I, I had to master in my own career, branding and marketing. And how do you uniquely find your differentiator? Um, and now I'm brought in regularly to some of those um, huge organizations and corporations. And a piano comes with me and I use music to drive the points home. So if I'm talking about you know, change and the benefit that change can bring or embracing technology, I'll play the traditional version of Flight of the Bumblebee, followed by a jazzy arrangement of Flight of the Bumblebee, which is just adding a little bit of change. And then I'll play the remix <laughs> called The Flight, which is what happens when you dare to embrace the technology that you have at your fingertips. So do you get to choose your own piano? Uh, I am so, so lucky. I am a Yamaha artist. Okay. And so wherever I go in that city, the local Yamaha dealer brings me an instrument. Now, my instrument of choice is this big beast of a piano called a CFX. It's like a big nine footer. Um, I went with Yamaha for, for two main reasons. Um, there, the keystroke is so even that wherever I go, whether it's an old beat up Yamaha, which I don't have to play on anymore, or a brand right. new one, I know what the action is gonna be like. We're on some of the other brands. If someone hadn't been working that piano to death before I got there, I might get a brand new piano that has no give. No action. So Yamaha yeah. was, was consistent. Also their bass. Oh. Yeah. And I need a great, uh, great bass strings because I'm competing against the electronics that I'm bringing in. So, right. you know, we, we amplify still, but the bass can, can carry the weight. So yeah. So I, I love, I love the Yamaha. Yeah. I was, um, I was going to say you can just get any piano you want, but it's great, great that you have the relationship with Yamaha. Yeah. Um, when these, when you started doing this, Jade, like getting these, um, these events lined up, did they come to you and say, Hey, we, we think this is going to work out, but how did you pitch what you did? Did you use videos? Um, did you sit, have a sit down with them and explain it to them? Did they see you in some capacity? Um, because what, the reason I'm asking is, I think what you've uncovered, um, I don't know anybody that, that's doing this like you're doing it in the way yeah. that you're doing it. And I think it has such value to companies yeah. that have employees that get jazzed up about something in their life. And, and a lot of them are, you know, um, I used to be a, a contractor for many years, um, electrical and telecommunication. I go in these cubicles yeah. on these jobs and you see people just you know, they got their head down and they're like almost living a life of depression because it's the That's same right. old, same old. And you come in and light them up and say, here's a world of possibility to think about. Yeah. And, and they come out better people, better, you know, jacked up employees right. who want to right. do well. So yeah. how, did, how, did, how did the first one, like, like you must have had to work it really hard or did, you, or did it just kind of happen like you described earlier and you were there? No, I mean... It's such a great question because you're making me kind of work, think backwards because I can tell you what our process is today, which is everything you just mentioned. Okay. But okay. it exists because in the beginning, we thought, we understood our, I, we now, because I have a team. Back in the day, I, you were the team. I understood what I did. Right. I understood what the value was. And I had so much trouble getting people to understand it. So almost every time I got a booking, it was somebody taking a risk. Yeah. because of how they felt, the energy they got from me. And then what I would find out later is they were kind of crossing their fingers and right. praying that it actually worked. And then we would hit it out of the park. Um, and I started realizing I was getting standing ovations at these keynote 
<laughs> these keynote events. Well, as a musician, you hope for the standing O. So yeah. to me, I didn't know it was a big deal to get the standing O until it started showing up in these, it's the first speaker we've ever had that had a standing ovation. So then we started and I started in, why are people really standing up? And my goal has become, I don't want you to stand up just because you thought what I just did was awesome. Right. That's one level of standing ovation. The deepest level of a standing over me is when people stand up because they feel awesome. Something yeah. in them has, has activated, has switched on. And so that depression you're talking about has to do a lot with purpose. If yeah. people don't feel a connected to their own purpose, be connected to the purpose of the organization they're working. For, it's just, they're just performing a mundane daily task, counting down the hours until you know, it's five o'clock. Yeah. It's an existence. I can't even imagine uh, living and I have avoided <laughs> for my entire life. Yeah. I've never worked for it myself. And so because of that, I'm able to kind of mistake of what does it look like to work for yourself, even within the boundaries of someone else's organization? How do we make this a place of purpose for you? So now we've got, we've got it down pat. We know what the, what the value proposition is, but in the beginning, I did a little bit of, of everything. My, my biggest asset was speed. So even when I was building my concert career, I responded to people's inquiries with lightning speed and with more information than they needed. So I would, I worked to cut down the number of correspondences necessary to close the, and even today, my website is that way. So it's built on all the reservations people have ever had about me. We flip them uh, into the content they need to know. So one is, you may think Jade's a risk, but she's a sure thing. Here's why. Right. Right. Uh, and now what, what's happened is because it may be they knew that Hershey's or QuickBooks, um, you know, or, or some I can't name. I have to be careful because they haven't happened yet. Right. Um, you know, or nationwide. Uh, they know that if that trusted corporation brought her in. She must be the real deal. But in the beginning, it, it took a while, it took a lot of convincing. Um, and the piano helped because it was at least, you know, a curiosity factor. Yeah. And there are other speakers who are also musicians or conductors. And I think the big difference is music uh, or their career. But I usually go in and speak about what the company's goals are what the what the people are dealing with now i may pepper that with the story from my career that relates to that but my focus is on the people in the audience uh and not on necessarily what i've done uh, as an artist well it it is a it's not a home run it's a grand slam because you're accomplishing oh, okay. so many things you know simultaneously you're lifting people up out of the doldrums and almost like showcasing another way to think about their life, you know, just by right. just by the possibility that I haven't embraced this little gift I have. I've been just like ignoring it and no yeah. one ever told me I could do this. And, mm -hmm. and then you're having fun. I mean, you're you're oh, you're fulfilling wow. what you're supposed to be doing. You know, you're you're yeah. carrying that, all that out. So let's talk a little bit about ministry. How do we plug ministry into all of this, and where does that sit in in the realm of everything you're doing? Yeah, and I know you're asking that question because it's important to kind of put that in the words. But you know what I'm going to say, which is you're never not a minister. Yeah. 
and we just never not. And, and, you know, I am literally an ordained minister. My Christian faith is extremely important to me. It is um, 90% of who I am as a person and informs everything. It's my compass. But most of my engagements are not uh, so-called sacred engagements. They're definitely secular in the, in the definitive sense of the world. But I, I sort of, I don't believe leave in those sorts of lines. Right. So even though I'm not called in to speak about, you know, faith in Christ or have a religious experience, that same uh, desire to see uh, impactful change in their life comes across. Um, right. A lot of times I go out into the audience and um, that's because I want to be close to the people. COVID has made that more difficult, right? But yeah. uh, I feel I'm an empath, as people say, when I'm walking through that audience, I feel certain things coming off of people, right? So you, I, I may feel depression or I may feel insecurity um, or I may feel fears is mostly what I feel. Um, and a lot of times I'm feeling that because I am literally on purpose scaring them about picking somebody out of that audience to come on stage with me. So that <laughs> amps the fear up in the room. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so I think, you know, here's a prayer that I've always prayed, which has been, you know, God, let me be in the center of your will and please come with me wherever I am. Throw away all my scripts and my bullet points uh, and let me say what you need me to say in that moment. And so what I've noticed has happened is we get into these, you know, corporate keynotes and it feels like a spiritual experience because I'm working to touch people um, far deeper than the bottom line, so to speak. And so the answer to the prayer that I heard was, Jade, look, says God. They may not be inviting me in, but they're inviting you in and I go wherever you go. Right. So ministry has become this holistic thing where it is just who I am. So I am a minister. That means that especially pre-COVID, if I feel like we need to hug it out, we're going to hug it out. Yeah. You know, or if I feel like you're the person that needs to be on stage. Um, and it's always worked out that the people that I randomly pick, it's never random. They right. needed to be up there. The audience needed to see them. Uh, that moment needed to transpire. Because if it's only me on stage, people can write it off as, well, that was awesome because she's trained for this. That's what she does. Right. But when they see their peers on the spot at the instrument having an incredible moment, they see themselves. Yeah. Right. Like if that person stood up in that moment, and did that thing, it must mean that I'm able to as well. And those are the moments. I mean, they always upstage me and I love it. I, yeah. I think it's the best, it's the best possible moment to see yourself um, really walking out the things that I've been telling you, you can do. Yeah. It's, it is amazing the way God works. Um, he, he put in my heart to start a prison ministry a couple of years ago. Wow. It, was right, it was right before COVID. And um, I went in, I went into the first one I went to and I had, I had like no fear at, at all. And I'm more of a, um, you know, use a secular approach. Some of my songs are all spiritual. They're not all mm -hmm. like Christian, hardcore Christian religious songs, but they're, yeah. but there's mm -hmm. stories in them, you know? And then when you get in front of a bunch of prisoners and you talk about how as a teenager, I was sleeping in my car and all, all these tough journeys that I had, you know, they perked up a little bit. And so I think, I think it doesn't matter how you, um, you get the energy to them just get it to them yeah. you know and god That's will fig it. figure out the route how it's supposed to go yeah um, and you know you have the wonderful benefit of lyrics whereas you know i'm not a singer at least not officially and so i may just be playing you know i'm always playing music that's instrumental 
And so for me, it's like you said, if I can give as much of that energy, whether it's love, whether it's inspiration, I try to give that through the music because I'm not singing it. There are no words to latch on to. So all they have is that vibe and it powerful music uh, really is. You're a powerful communicator. I want to talk to you about audacious prayers for world changers. And I just want to read this. This It was created to embolden us to become allergic to status quo. I love that. To believe again in the supernatural and in the, the truth and hope of God's big promises. This devotional gives us the words and the audacity to call those promises forth in our lives. So well put. And congratulations on this book. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So when did this those, come out? Um... Is, is this recent or has it been a while or? No, no, this was 2016. Wonderful. Um, so I'm due for, I'm actually working on a, on a new book now, but I've been asked over and over, you got to do an audacious prayers for kids or audacious prayers for parents. Uh, but it was, you know, if I, if I find a theme in my career, it has been usually I see something that's missing and then I get curious about whether or not I'm called to fill that void. And prayer was something that I felt like, I didn't know I was good at it, right? Because there's really no such thing as good or bad at prayer. Right. But again, I would start, I would pray in certain instances where there were other people involved. And I would, people would say, I didn't know you could, I didn't know we could pray like that. Yeah. And I'm like, like what? And they're like, well, it sounds like you're just talking to God. And it's, there are these words in there that are big, but they're not fancy. Yeah. Um. And so what it was, was, I really believe the word of God. So if he says nothing's impossible, I believe that. Yeah. So that means that all of every word that comes out of my mouth, prayers especially, they can't be, well, if if this could possibly maybe happen, could you maybe possibly do this, God? And <laughs> don't worry if you can't, little old me will be fine. And I just would hear what? people pray in those ways and think, that's that's so much smaller than who got it. Yeah, you just talked and yourself out of the deal. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why even finish that prayer with an amen? Because you don't even believe it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was a friend of mine who publishes, help people, helps people self-publish. And I knew I should write a book because, you know, when you go to all these coaches and mentors, they tell you, you got to write a book. And so I thought, oh, well, I must need to write a book on career building or, you know, how to find your brand. And I said, I got this kind of idea on prayer, but, Nobody wants to hear a prayer from the pianist. And I kept moving. And he said, wait a minute. He said, Jade, prayer is universal. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but everybody doesn't believe, you know, the same way. And he says, no, no, no. He said, you don't pray like everybody else. He said, everybody needs big words to go after the big things they believe they're called to do. And so I took his advice. And I even, James, I was going to go with a little cover with, you know, little praying hands and <laughs> your audience will look that book up. That is not the cover. Um, I went with the cover that I wanted to be on an album um, and the record producer said it was too far out. So they didn't put it on my first uh, album that I released. So that little leftover picture of me screaming basically is the prayer of this audacious, it's the cover of this audacious prayers book because I thought, well, that's audacious. That's an audacious I love the space. photo. I, it's um, so cool. Yeah. Thank you. It's my favorite. And I'll tell you, um, since I haven't had time to write another book, a corporate book or a business book or a leadership book, that's the only book I've had with me at non-church events. Yeah. And it sells out everywhere we go. Yeah. Because 
people would have just heard me speak and know that what I'm saying is for them. And they go and get that book. And I'll tell you, it's the most humbling thing in the world to see people post, say day 19 is the one that, man, that is that is my day. Or others will say, it doesn't matter when I pick that book up, every day aligns with what I need for that day. And I'll tell you, you know, I don't want to even think about dying anytime soon. But if I were to leave this this earth anytime soon, I'm proud that that book will continue to sow seeds, uh, hopefully for generations to come. That's fantastic. People don't realize the value of prayer. And I think, like you had said earlier, like people get caught up in the fact that they think it has to be this formal, like, yeah. you know, high and overly the hill mighty type of thing that they have to. And, and the Lord knows that we're human beings, that... It's, it's not unlike having a conversation with a person, you know, and you have to start with, you know, I always tell people, if you want a relationship with God, it's like, you got to treat it like, you know, how did you get a girlfriend? You just That's talk good. to her. <laughs> you got to talk That's to good. her first, you know. That's so good. I wanted to I wanted to just touch on some of the things um, that you did with uh, your records. Um, you have 2009, you, the revolutionary rhythm. I love that title. That is awesome. 2012 bosses Nova. So cool. Yeah. 2013 playing with fire. There's an EP there and the Paganini project also in 2013. And, um, then we come down to, you were running for president in 2020. So in my free time, huh? <laughs> you just never yeah. sleep. Jade, you uh, you don't sleep at all, do you? <laughs> I've only recently learned to really embrace sleep. You're right, um, and it's still an ongoing uh, project. You got to get eight but hours. I, you got to get. I have. Oh God, so that's eight hours is is like I know um, a miracle for me. But <laughs> that being said, um, it goes back to what I was saying. I really related to you about, which is this idea of creation. It's like the only thing you really want to do is create. Yeah. And so over over my life so far, whereas I started creating in music and then created through speech and, and then cr through coaching or through writing, um, you know, my father, who is also a civil rights activist, ha has always instilled in us that don't be that person that's saying they need to do this. They should do that or that's wrong and never offer yourself up to be the person to make the change. Now, I don't know if he meant for his daughter to run for president but when i told him you know i was so struck by the division uh that was festering and i remember preaching at my church on a wednesday night I'm, i was one of the bible teachers at the time and i remember saying to the audience i think it was 2016 2015 when they were, were having all the primaries right and i remember the republican primary was huge and you had all these unusual figures i think like the lady from ebay was right it was like all these people <laughs> who weren't your run-of-the-mill politicians yep. if you remember this and yes. then there was also donald trump right and i remember saying because the division that just divisive rhetoric that's always been there but i would say in the last eight to 12 years has really spiked it's been bad i remember yeah. saying to the church if we're not careful the division that we see in the world of politics will bleed down through to our churches, into our homes, into our hearts as individuals, yes. if we're not careful. And lo and behold, 2020 hit, and I felt like that's where we were. Um, and so long story as short as I made the decision to run for uh, president as an independent, which <laughs> like running for president isn't hard enough to run for president as an independent in a country that is 
in the death grip of two parties um, yeah. is next to impossible. So we had to decide as a campaign, what would winning mean for us? And we said, well, if we were in the White House, here, here are the things we would want to do. Here they are, are the initiatives. Here are the way that we would want to treat people. Here's the way we want to speak. So we said, why don't we behave as if we're in the White House now? Why do you have to wait to win in order to make that kind of change in people's lives? So as we travel the nation, and I'm very proud that not only were we on the ballot formally in some states, we were registered. People don't really have to register to be a write-in uh, in the plus states. So you literally could have voted for me in almost every state in the wow. nation and the votes would have counted. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get a final count because of all the mess that was going on between oh, yeah. it was a horror uh, Biden show. and Trump. They yeah. didn't even count uh, write-in votes. <laughs> Everything got wow. thrown in the back of the room. Um, but the the amazing stuff that we saw across this nation, that people weren't as divided as maybe we see them being right. in the media. Yeah. That so many people just wanted common sense government that put yeah. them first. Oh, man, it was powerful. And, yeah. you know, we ran under the kind of the moniker of Operation Restoration. And our goal was let's bring some form of restoration to every place we that we put our feet down. Um, and that's what we did. And so uh, it was an exciting time, challenging. I probably have been mo more insulted in that one year than I was in my 44 years on Earth. Oh my God. Uh, but it was it was really a, an incredible lesson um, in humanity and what's possible and how important, you know, our leadership is in, in terms of determining the temperature yeah. of the nation. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of healing to do. There's a lot of things that we need to do, but I'm glad you did. That must have, you know, it's one that you'll never forget. And, and you made an impact. All the people you touched, you don't even know oh, how many yeah. people you touched with this. Oh, you man. Know? It's so. funny. We find out more now, I think, as people are... Um, jaded because either they voted whatever way because they thought it was going to change everything. Right. right. We saw a lot of fear, right. People were either um, uh, because I'm a Christian, uh, there were a lot of Republicans who assumed you should be on this side because I'm black and female. There were a lot of Democrats who thought you should be on this side. Right. Um, and both sides at one point thought that I was a plant <laughs> from the other side. I mean, the story, we can do a whole other episode on just that experience, but what I will say is, what we always found is once we got in the room, once we spoke the vision and the mission, there usually wasn't uh, anyone who converted um, by the time we were done. Because for once they were hearing a voice and a vision that mirrored theirs. Yeah. And so that was very exciting to see. And, and I, I still hold out um, a lot of hope for this nation because I've seen the people who are truly the people who make up the nation. Yeah, I agree. You and I both on that one. Okay, as we're as we're winding down, what yeah. is the rest of this year looking like for Jade Simmons? I mean, you you've got so many things going on, and and I really I'm really very excited to tell you the truth about um, what you've done with this brand and how you've approached it, and it just uh, I I just I get excited just you know seeing what you're doing. Um, wow. It's really you, you're onto something that's going to inspire. Not only people like myself, but like other musicians, other people who need to get out and share their story. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. So what I'd like you to do is, um, if you wouldn't mind, um, as we're saying goodbye, if there's something you'd like to share with the audience out there as far as 
maybe either a prayer or some wisdom to share for the up-and-coming um, musicians, singers, songwriters, yeah. whatever they are. And in, in a time where there's a lot of hopelessness with the music business, uh, people feel like they mm-hmm. don't have a place to go. Um, so if there's anything yeah. you can add <clears throat> and share, um, I'm sure people would love to hear this. Of course. Now you asked, what does the rest of the year look like? Um, I'm focusing in one direction, which is a big change. My, my team is very excited. <laughs> one direction? What does that feel like? You're probably relieved. <laughs> yeah, very relieved. It's a direction of purpose. Um, when I started speaking, I said this one thing that took on a life of its own, and it was that your, your purpose is not the thing you do. Because I thought my purpose was to play the piano. So every wrong note I hit, every memory slip I had, every engagement I didn't get, you know, I completely and wholly felt like I was failing. And it was in those concerts where I started speaking that I saw, wait a minute, your purpose is not the thing you do. Your purpose is what happens in others when you do what you do. And then I realized the piano then was only one vehicle in which I got to ride out my purpose. What purpose was, was what was happening in that audience. The fact that they were seeing the creative side of themselves or feeling activated to go after something, that was purpose. And I realized, oh, my purpose, personally, Jade's purpose, is to activate people into becoming a bigger, bolder version of themselves. The one that I believe God created them to be. So I think for every creative out there, first of all, you have such a special gift to create. I mean, that is the God gift, right? The creator has shared that gift with you. So that must mean that if we can't put God in a box, probably can't put you and your creativity in a box either. So I would encourage creatives to unshackle themselves. We go to school and we get boxed in or we're told what we can and cannot do. And I would dare you that, uh, I would dare you to use this year to really explore your creativity outside of the box you've currently had it in, because most likely it's bigger than what you've thought. And the reason I would bet money on that is because I know that purpose is intrinsically tied to other people. The bigger we grow our purpose, the bigger our impact is, the more people we're able to reach and inspire. And there's just a an incredible belief and faith that rises in you, James, when you get that what you're doing is not just about you. So all those, that fear and that con- the confines and the stage fright or the worry about whether people are going to like it begins to go away. I no longer worry if people like what I have on or my earrings or what I'm, you know, what I'm doing or why I'm doing there. The only thing I worry about is what's happening then in them when I'm doing what I'm doing. I now rate success, not on the standing ovation or on the reviews. Um, I I rate success now on what people are telling me has happened in them when I was on stage. And I think for all artists to believe again uh, in the restorative and creative power of your work. Your work is bigger than you, but it does come from you and it's designed to have an impact on everyone Uh, who experiences it. I mean, you'll see art in the background here. I just uh, invested in a new piece that I haven't hung up yet. It's an American flag that is barely recognizable. And to me, it's a reminder of how things might be messy now, but we can still see 
uh, the real vision behind what this nation is supposed to be. And I think all artists have to take some time after the really tough time of COVID where people valued us because they were running to look for their favorite music to play during these dark times and their favorite art and reading their favorite books. But I think now we have a chance to remind uh, the world of how valuable uh, the arts is, especially to the world, to our well-being. I think we've devalued the arts um, in society and it's time now for it to come back to the forefront because it has the healing powers that I believe the world needs now more than ever before. Amen. Amen. Such uh, sage advice. Jade, this was really, really wonderful. I really appreciate you uh, coming by to share um, your life, your stories, your music. And uh, of course, all the all the links for all your socials will be in the show notes. And in parting, I just want to wish all of God's blessings on you, your music, your family, and especially your parents. Oh, wow. Thank you, James. And same to you. You know, you talked about doing similar things uh, as I do. And I, I pray that there'll be no limitations and that you dare after to, to go after the farthest out of the dreams that are on your heart. I'll be rooting for you. Thank you, Jay. Be blessed. Of course. Thank you. Well, if that didn't inspire you, you're probably unconscious. Hey, please share this show with somebody you love. I think they need it. And also, check out the show notes for everything Jade Simmons. That's a wrap for me today. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution. So until the next time, when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials or I'll see you from the stage. Ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery. If wishes were windows, I'd open one and find That freedom is really a simple state of mind So ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery Ride on, ride on, baby, baby, you and I can find the key Ride on, ride on, we can unlock each other's destiny I taste the breeze of freedom, it's tingling on my tongue You and I out on the road will stay
to the top.